we're in the middle of this message series on the book of James, or as we talked about last week, the, the letter of James. And one of the things about the letter of James is that we're not 100% sure who wrote it. Uh, it could have been James, the Apostle James, uh, as in James and John, but that doesn't seem very likely because he was beheaded so soon after uh, Christ's death and resurrection. It could have been the other Apostle James, son of Alphaeus. But most scholars, you, you always got to use the word scholars in your introduction because that really you know, grabs people's attention, but uh, not so much usually. But uh, anyway, most scholars, 90% of scholars, would say that the author of this letter was Jesus' brother or half-brother, James. And so when we read this letter, we need to read it through the lens of uh, understanding that this is someone who knew Jesus very well, especially if the author is Jesus' brother, James. And, you know, have you ever wondered what it was like to be Jesus' brother? I mean, to grow up in his household and to have like 30 years of daily interaction with him, what that, what that was like. Uh, I think that that would have been amazing and a little bit odd all at the same time. And uh, it got especially odd one day for James as uh, when he and his family went to a wedding in Cana with Jesus and some of his disciples. And it's a, it's, it, this happens right at the very beginning of the Gospel of John in the second chapter. And um, in the first chapter, Jesus had gone and he had been uh, kind of inviting some people to follow him. And then it says right at the beginning of the second chapter, on the third day, they went to a wedding. And uh, these celebrations aren't like ours where, you know, it's over in a day. Uh, they could sometimes last for a week, the celebration. And however long this one went, uh, Lindsay and David are like, oh, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> but however long this one went, uh, the, as the near the end of it, the the couple ran out of wine. And Jesus' and Jesus' mother, or James' mother, went to Jesus, and she said to him, they're out of wine. And the way that she said it indicated that she thought that Jesus could do something about it. James was probably glad she didn't come to him. but And Jesus at first kind of wonders out loud, what, what do you want me to do? But then, oddly, he tells the servants to go and fill these six water jugs that were there that are used for ceremonial washing of hands in the Jewish faith. And he says, go fill those with water. And they went and did that. It took a little while to do that. And they came back and he said, now dip some of the water out and take it to the master of the banquet. Now, the master of the banquet was the person who was supposed to kind of like distribute the wine so that nobody got sauced but you know that everybody had enough and uh so they did that and they took it to the master of the banquet and when they took that water to this man and he drank it it had become wine <laughs> i always wondered what that was like for james brothers uh, jesus brothers as it says in the next verse that they went back to Capernaum 
and you know they're making this trip it's quite a walk and you know what that was like if his brothers were like did you know he could do that (laughs) it's just like where did that come from uh and that was just the beginning of three years of miracles and growing popularity and at the same time growing confrontation with the religious folk and that had to be kind of weird and maybe embarrassing for his family since Jesus seemed to be drawn to the kind of people that good Jews uh, stayed clear of. And, and the rumors around town were that some, uh, and among especially some of the religious leaders, they were saying that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard and that he was a friend of sinners. And there was plenty of evidence that indeed he was. Jesus spent a great deal of time in their homes Uh, tax collectors and all kinds of people eating and drinking with them. And it seems like James and his brothers didn't really understand all of this. Uh, In John 5, 7, maybe it's 7, 5, somebody look it up. Uh, There's this interaction with Jesus and his brothers, and, and it says at the end of the interaction that they didn't even believe in Jesus at that point in time. And yet there was something about Jesus' comfort level and love for and compassion for the kind of people that no one else noticed or would give the time of day that would have been hard for even a brother who didn't get why Jesus treated people and accepted people the way that he did to to overlook. And uh, see, the people that were attracted to Jesus who wanted to hang out with him and be with him did that because even though... Uh, It was obvious in so many ways that Jesus knew just the sort of kind of person that they were. They experienced something, some things when they were with him that was different than anyone that they had ever met. And one of those things was complete acceptance. To be completely accepted for who they were. And so whether the writer of James is Jesus' brother or one of Jesus' apostles, um, they had firsthand experience of Jesus and his acceptance and his love that he showed for people. And after seeing him die on the cross for all kinds of people, they knew how deeply he loved people. And so when James sees something occurring in the church that doesn't quite jive with the way Jesus treated people and how Jesus taught us to love people, He writes this in James chapter 2, and this is our memory verse for this week, so let's read it together. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. James 2, 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism favoritism he says believers in our lord and savior jesus christ who loved you accepted you just as you were you must not show favoritism you must not then turn around and reject others based on your own standards and we if we're going to get untangled from the kudzu of favoritism then there are some steps that we'll need to take to and the first of those in your Uh, message notes is accept others as jesus accepts and loves you jesus is saying you know without recognizing it i know you didn't do this maliciously you've you've just forgotten how jesus accepts and loves you 
you've set up categories for judging people that God doesn't recognize, that God knows nothing, means nothing to God. And then he goes and he gives this illustration, and, and this illustration uh, in this next passage is something that can make this passage seem irrelevant to us because it's something that we would never do. Uh, but he gives us an illustration of what the favor, this favoritism looks like. He says, suppose someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor person in filthy old clothes, probably smelly filthy old clothes, also comes in. If you show special attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the one who is poor, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, none of us would do this, would we? I mean, uh, none of us would say to a poor person, come sit at my feet. And so our tendency is to say, next verse, next topic, this doesn't apply to me. But we see what James is really talking about in verse 4 when he says, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is using rich and poor as an example to illustrate this larger issue of partiality and discrimination and judging others in the church. See, it's okay to pay special attention to the rich person when they come in, but where we fall into a problem is when we treat the poor person differently. Uh, then, you've tr- then you've treated the rest- rich person. That's favoritism. And within the church, we're all forgiven and loved, and when you size someone up based on appearance or status or race or gender or any other criteria... You're judging based on categories that Jesus doesn't recognize. Uh, Look at Colossians 3.11. Here, and what he means by here is here in the body of Christ, here in this relationship that we have in Christ through Jesus' death and resurrection. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And when you discriminate or show preference over one another, you're not acting according to God's value system. And in the following verses, James gives us a clear picture of what it is that God does value. Uh, Look at verse 5, starting in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? And God's more honored by the faith of the poor because it's difficult to maintain faith in a good God when life is not good, isn't it? And some of you know this not because you're poor, but because uh, you're sick or because God isn't answering prayer or because circumstances have turned bad or because someone that you know is dying. And it's difficult to maintain faith in a good God when life is not good. And James says, you know something? Uh, From God's perspective, he sees those people as rich in what matters most to him, faith. 
He sees them as rich in faith because it takes more faith to be poor and continue to walk through the door of the church to worship week after week when your circumstances haven't changed and your children are still uh, without the things that other kids have and you stood in the unemployment line all week and you've prayed for a job but it doesn't come and yet you keep trusting God and keep coming in the door to sing his praises and and, um, acknowledging his sufficiency. The person, that person is who God sees as rich in his eyes. But you've honored the other guy. And you know, we don't do this um, uh, on purpose. We, we just sometimes forget how Jesus lived and how Jesus treated other people and, and uh, that we needed grace and got it, not based on who we were or how much money we had or what skill set we had or how we dressed or what color our skin or who we knew or any of the categories that we tend to put people in. You know, and it's natural to put people into categories. That's how our brain sorts things so we don't have to figure things out over and over again. But the issue comes when we have categories of people that we prefer and categories of people that we are prejudiced against that cause us to accept some and reject others based on our categories. Uh, I was thinking this week, imagine if God had categories like we do. What if God had a... a a bad taste in clothes category, you know, or a talks too much category, or a too tall, or too fat, or too thin, or too homely, or too old, or too uneducated, or too, too, too. What if we were accepted based on some of the things that we judge people by? And James' point in this whole passage is that we are the body of Christ unified and put together on purpose. And God God has gone to incredible lengths to put together his church. And when we make distinctions about who's in and who's out, who we accept and who we're not going to bother to get to know because, well, they're just not my kind of people. Um, Then James is saying, haven't you set yourself up to judge what God's doing? Aren't you making yourself a judge of God's work and his purposes. I know, that's really hard to hear, isn't it? I don't even like writing it, but <laughs> well, we have to, we have to, we have to face these things that are weaknesses. We all do, don't we? We all have some category of person or, but the good news uh, comes next and James gives us this solution. And, you know, I'm glad he doesn't just simply say you should like the people you don't like. Uh, he gives us a way to do that. Uh, verse 8. But if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. Doesn't that seem so simple? Love your neighbor as yourself. If, if you do that, you're doing right. Very simple. And, and when you run into that category of person that you tend to judge and steer away from or you have the choice of one or two, you steer away from one and toward the other, uh, he just gives us this very simple solution. And it goes back to very, very basic Christian teaching. Uh, you know, this week I was, what I do is I, I have my uh, bank deposit slips and I, I'll put our account number on a lot of them. Uh, so I don't have to, like, you know, when I'm in a hurry, I just grab one. I don't have to try to find my account number. 
And I was doing that, and, and just at one point I, I said to my, just had this feeling, go back to the original. And I looked at the original, and I had gotten off by one number on like the last five of them. And, and uh, I think sometimes God calls, calls us to go back to the original. You know, look at Jesus. Look at his life and what he did. And, and so he, he tells us um, to go back to the original and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, lo- t- go back to what Jesus taught us. And when you bump into that person in the parking lot, when you're trying to figure out what pew to sit in, and it's real and simple. You, you recognize that thing in you that starts to run the other way and make a judgment call. And you simply love that person as you love yourself and accept that person as you accept yourself with all of the flaws and quirks and whatever it is. And so the second step to getting untangled is to love your neighbor as yourself. And instead of seeing black and white, rich and poor, doctors and Levi's and wondering, you know, where's the wedding ring and isn't she kind of young for him and, you know, judging, uh, instead of seeing those things, well, you just see them as Jesus sees you and accept them as God accepts you and you love that person as you would want to be loved. And, and James says if you do that, you do right. But to do otherwise is sin. Look at verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin. We don't like to think of it that way, but um, you sin and are convicted by the law as law breakers. And and this whole passage, I'm not even going to read the next part, but it gets really uncomfortable in the next few verses because Jesus goes on to compare the sin of favoritism with adultery and murder. And he says it all falls in the same category. It's all sin. So we need to be very careful about this and take it very seriously and follow the instructions in verse 12. Uh, These are his closing verses. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you just turn to your neighbor and say that? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Sandy, way back there in the back. Mercy triumphs over judgment. John, some of you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Inside and outside the church, when something in you heads towards the judgment aisle, you know, James says you got to cut that off and head towards the mercy aisle. Because someday we're going to stand before God and we're going to say, give me mercy. And so in this life, we need to let mercy triumph over judgment. Honor those that you have a tendency to dishonor. Let mercy triumph over judgment. And, and I think when you do that, you will see amazing things happen in people's life because every person that you meet is in need of grace. They're hungry for it. To be accepted and loved for who they are without having to fit into the world's categories. When you love people like that, you're, you're just going to see them blossom. And that's what God, people experienced when they were around Jesus. And it makes me wonder if maybe Jesus measured people by a different standard than we used to measure people. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
And you can't take any credit for this. It's not about your bank account or what you were wearing this Sunday or any of that. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. For we are God's masterpiece. And you wonder if uh, Jesus hung out with broken people and if unnoticed people felt accepted and noticed by Jesus because Jesus knew this about them, that they were like unrecognized treasures at a garage sale, you know, discarded masterpieces, and he has come to recover them. And if that's true, and I believe it is, then to get untangled from from favoritism, uh, we need to see others as Jesus sees them. And ask ourselves, how can we live more like Jesus lived and be obedient to his law to love our neighbors as ourselves? And let me close with this question. It's at the bottom of your message notes. Who is that person or category of people for you that as soon as you see them, you go the other way or label them? Who is that for you? Put some thought into that this morning or this week. Who is that for you? And I I invite you to take a giant step forward in your faith this morning and confess that before you come to the communion table and just tell God, you know, I've I've sinned in that area and be willing to ask forgiveness this morning. Then second, wouldn't it be great if we all decided instead of turning the other way to purposefully accept and love others in the way that we've been accepted and loved? Wouldn't every church be uh, much more attractive if we simply embraced the law that Jesus said was the second most important commandment. Uh, I think that's why James rated it right up there with adultery and murder. I mean, this is the second highest. What if we decided to get untangled from favoritism instead of seeing rich and poor, red and yellow, black and white, tattoos, piercings, pants down to their knees, instead of seeing that, we decided to see someone who Christ loves and died for and loved them as we have been loved ourselves. And when we don't do that, to confess it and act on it. Today's World Communion Sunday. All around the world, all kinds of churches and all kinds of neighborhoods and a variety of languages and worship styles, people are gathering around a common table to share the body and blood of Christ. Today we celebrate our place in God's family with brothers and sisters of all nations ethnic groups, financial level, political and religious backgrounds. And these elements are our reminder of the depth of Jesus' love for all people. Today we celebrate the wonder of grace that the choir sang about earlier. Grace in our life and in the life of others. Before we move into the communion service, would you pull out your connection card? There's uh, some ways to respond on the back there. The first is memorizing our memory verse from James 2.1. And then the second says that we could be more intentional about accepting others as Jesus loves and accepts me. And number three, I'm going to practice moving towards those whom I or others have a tendency to ignore or reject. just going to kind of rethink that and be more intentional about it. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord God, we, uh, we don't do any of this on purpose. We uh, just 
sometimes forget. Uh, forget how we've been loved and accepted. And so it's uh, so help us to be more aware of this and to be better at it, at accepting and loving every person that we encounter, God. And this morning I want to pray for those who have maybe at some time in their life been on the receiving end of judgment and have been less than accepted for one reason or another, that they would know that they're loved and accepted by you and um, that they would be able to forgive those who judged them and and, uh, excluded them. And I pray, God, for this church that we would always maintain and continue to grow in that unity, that love for every person that walks in the door. I think that this is one thing this church does well, and uh, but we always need to look at it, God. And, and I thank you for this reminder in James of what you've called us to do and be as a church. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.